Hi everybody, uh, this is your host Robert Steinman. We recorded this episode of the podcast this past Saturday, and that was before the unfortunate, terrible news that Nintendo President Satoru Iwata passed away. We had a funny intro, but it didn't feel right doing that now, so that's why I'm kind of recording this. I uh, just want to speak for all of RPG fan when I say that uh, our hearts go out to Iwata-san's family, and we really... Um, it's, it's kind of a terrible tragedy, and uh, I'm kind of at a loss for words right now, um, and I'm sure everybody's kind of reeling from this news right now, so um, just wanted to take a minute to reflect on him and his impact in the gaming world. So, hope you guys enjoy the episode of the podcast, and uh, please keep uh, Iwata-san's family uh, in your hearts right now. Thank you. Welcome to episode 97 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is the guy who sounds like Hulk Hogan and speaks Japanese, Stephen Myrink. What? That's the wrong guy. Well, That's the wrong guy. Okay, Derek Heemsberg and them. Whatever. Why don't you introduce yourselves? I'm tired. I'm Stephen Myrink, Tearless on the boards. Yeah, brother. I'm Derek Heemsberg and Embryon on the boards, and I was the one who did the voice. You're all, I, you're all messed up, bro. I'm sorry. I thought it was Steven. Seriously. I'm sorry. Hey, how's it going, though? Hi. RPGs are cool. Yep. Hi. What's up? And then we have our attorney at law here, Jesse Wu, to make sure we don't say anything incriminating. That's right. Jesse Wu. I'm the super dog on the boards. You know, I have to imagine that he gets really tired of that joke. But it's so true, though. We should but prob- he's a lawyer. But we should probably have somebody on retainer just in case one of us says something really dumb, as I point at myself. Well, if anybody says it, it's going to be you, We barely man. have the money to afford our website. What makes you think we can afford a lawyer on retainer? <laughs> it's true. Well, you, you have a free one, as it turns out. So Nice. Pro oh, bono yeah. for the win. All right, then I will leave take... out my Harvey Birdman attorney at law joke. Yes. <laughs> we couldn't even take the staff out to a free dinner at Pollo Campero during E3, so I don't think we can afford a lawyer, man. <laughs> God, eating at E3 was such a pain. First off, what is the deal? What's the deal with What's LA? Deal with, LA? with LA serving each person at our table just individually and at different times, and it was like not an isolated incident. It kept happening, every, happening every time we went out to dinner. Yeah. They also really didn't like to split checks, but like some places they did. But there was that time when the guy was like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna split your checks," and then he. He did, but was really smug about it. So I don't know if that was him being like, "Well, I went above and beyond." Yeah, and you. But sh- like, I'm gonna tip well. Don't worry. Like, I- yeah, I'm gonna take care of you. Like, I normally go fifteen to twenty percent. I I don't I'm- do the Steve Buscemi thing in Reservoir Dogs. Like, I'm gonna tip well if you don't treat me like a jerk. Yeah, although I I I do like at least two refills on my Coca Cola when I'm drinking and eating. Like, I, if you only refill once, like that's. Mm, I don't know. You got to be a little attentive. As I like pushing the glass to the side of the table, like, hello, hello, please. See, that's what's been stuck in my head. So we have an amiibo set up right outside of our uh, target, like, well, inside the target. And whenever you walk by, you hear Mario just go, hello, 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 hello. 
like I'm sitting there trying to get a Starbucks. Like, would you shut up, Mario? I know you're over there. All right. Does it also do the the amiibo thing? Like amiibo. Yes. Oh yeah. God. I thought about just buying some amiibos and then just being like, what's the you point? know. But. Speaking of which, there was a surprise restock at GameStop of NES and King Dedede uh, yesterday, really? day before yesterday. Yeah, and uh, Jeremy Harnage, one of the, one of our editors, asked me. He was like, "Hey, I'm at work. Can you swing by um, and check for me?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure. I'll you know I'll pop in because it's uh, next to the Starbucks I usually go to." And I got there at 9:55 a.m. and there was nobody there. And I was like, "I don't think he's right. I, I, I guess I'll wait for a few minutes." And I felt kind of weird standing there. And I went in. Twelve Nesses just sitting there. They were like, yeah, no, nobody knows, apparently. So, Did you buy all the Nesses? No, I just got one for him. How much is an Amiibo? Ten, twelve, ninety-nine. Yeah. And now, are, are different ones priced differently? No, no. but they're, some of them are rare, so people resell them at higher oh, values. Okay. Yeah, like, like there Ness are people who go and buy, really like, rare. ten of them. Because yeah. Ness is exclusive to GameStop. So, And, by the way, retailer-exclusive Amiibos are the stupidest thing, and yet they continue to happen. Like, I know that they make Nintendo money, that's fine. But, but it's it so frustrating, sucks. as somebody who wants to actually buy them, it's like, I, I just want to give you the money for the thing, please. The, this yep. this whole thing strikes me as very similar to, you know, if you read comics back in the 1990s, where all of a sudden people started, like, finding old comics from the 1960s and 70s, and, and they started selling them for huge amounts of money, and people were like, okay, maybe with these new comic books, we should start releasing, like, special editions that will make lots and lots of money down yeah, the road. manufacturing rarity, though. Right. And uh, it, uh, is Nintendo doing the same thing with Amiibo? Is it fair to say that they're doing that? I don't think so. I mean, they keep putting out statements saying that that's not their intent and that they can't accurately gauge demand, which I think is horse crap, honestly, because they know how well everything is selling. But... I want to say no. Like, the only things that they've put out that seem intentionally, like, made to be rare are the limited edition Marios, like the gold and silver ones. But those are those are not hard to find. Right. So, I don't know. It's because nobody cares about a Mario figure, because you can get a Mario figure anywhere. I think the appeal of Amiibo is uh, that you can get figures of characters that are not normally represented in merchandise, especially in the United States. Or, you know, anywhere. North America, not Japan. Well, I, it's... How rare is it to get a or like how cool is it to have a figure of Robin from Fire Emblem? That's not something you could just go pick up on the shelf, and that's why people want those ones, and that's why they become rare. Right. It, it it's just weird to me. Like if they are manufacturing demand, if they're doing the whole and rarity, like you're saying, if they're doing like just spitballing numbers here. I'm making numbers off the top of my head. These aren't representative of what we're talking about. But if they made 500 Mario's and then five Robins. Like, of course the Robins are now worth more, but it's because of the rarity of the material, not because of... Usually with these kind of things, like old Star Wars action figures and things, the reason why they started gaining value is because they released them, nobody bought them, so they didn't release any more, and then 30, 40 years later, all of a sudden, people want to collect those things that are very hard to come by. So the rarity came because the response from the market was not interested at the time, and then became interested decades later. So I don't know. I, I, I find the whole thing strange. I mean, I love collecting crazy crap all over my desk as I look up right now and see just various things on there that I like having, but I'm not going to go out of my way to buy those kind of things. Maybe that's just my personality type. It just depends on, yeah, if you're a collector, if that's the kind of thing you're into. Like, I've, I've said before that I'm I'm in too deep with the Amiibos. My roommate and I collect them, so we have almost all of them that are out right now, and we, have a, we, like, we bought an Ikea case for them and everything because we're insane. But um, wait, most, like, 
Wait, does IKEA what? make a specially designed amiibo case? <laughs> Not an amiibo case, but they make they make glass display cases for Oh, thank Christ. Whatever. I got really yeah. worried there for a second. <laughs> no, but we have one of those, and it's in our living room by our TV. It's it's like one of the main fixtures, and we, we like it a lot. But um, I find that I'm not buying them for their actual game functionality anymore. I'm just getting them because they're cool figures, and I want them. The, the only game that I've seen That's so far um, is the new, the new Fire Emblem actually... Let's you. It's very straightforward. You use the amiibo for that character, and that character joins your game. Yeah, amazing. Like, can we just have that? Well, I please? think that some games, especially games that have rosters of characters, I think that they are better suited to the amiibo functionality than something like Mario, where you know you can't put Samus into Mario. Maybe, maybe that might be the coolest thing I've ever thought of. But <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Well, it, I think uh, like there are some games that it's really bad. Like Shulk is almost impossible to find, and like if you put Shulk in yeah. Xenoblade 3D, you get play coins. It does nothing. Yeah, it's just oh here. There's like a crappy gallery mode where you can look at character models and listen to music, and you get coins for that if you mm-hmm. tap Shulk to it. I mean, it's it's basically pointless. Mm-hmm. But you know, whatever. Anyway, we're not here to talk about amiibos today. We're gonna talk. We're gonna turn this podcast into a stock trading amiibo podcast. Just complete focus on the rarity of the material. You need to sell your shulks now. They are at the highest market value. <laughs> sell, sell, sell. Now, Jeremy Harnage knows that. He he stays up to date on the news. He follows the Twitter accounts and checks the websites and everything. That's why, like, I wouldn't have known to check GameStop if he hadn't messaged me. I think the only collector's item that I ever bought was I bought one of those double-bladed lightsabers for Star Wars Episode One that <laughs> apparently failed a safety inspection and could burn your house down. Oh, like, you know, I feel like I remember seeing those at <laughs> uh, Borders or something. <laughs> My yeah, sister I and I were like, we need to go buy this now. Like, they, they had just recalled them. We managed to find, like, a Walmart that still had them. Like, uh, yoink. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got games to talk about. Um, I think we got to start with uh, Heaven's Word or Heaven's Sword or Heaven's Heaven Sword. Sword. It is Heaven's Word, right? Heaven's, Heaven's Word. Like, yeah. Yeah. the Heavens. Sword the Heavens. There are, uh, they, they play with that a lot, actually, because there yeah, are yeah. A, a circle of knights called the Knights of the Heavens Ward, which is cool, and yeah. I appreciate that. Well, tell me, because as I was downstairs <laughs> last night, uh, kind of tooling around on the internet, I look over and Steven is still playing Final Fantasy XIV, and I'm like, huh, haven't seen that for a while. So it seems like you guys are really up on this latest expansion for uh, A Realm Reborn, Final Fantasy XIV. Like, tell me a little bit about it. Like, what's going on with this game right now? Story-wise, it's fantastic. It's probably the best Final Fantasy story in a long time, uh, I think. And not um, just for an MMO, like an actual... Yeah, this is, yeah, exactly. This is not like, oh, it's pretty good for MMO. No, it's like a legitimately fantastic story that's like... I would say the main reason I'm playing through is because of how good the story is. Because uh, it still has plenty of like MMO grindy nonsense, but the... Uh, the, the main storyline quests are really interesting. The boss battles are cool. The dungeons are used more narratively than before. Uh, and because in 2.0, they you know they had to make up a story with all these existing characters from 1.0 and sort of salvage it. This is, uh, Yoshida even said in our interview too, um, this is sort of their chance to write their own story with their own characters. And it, it's clear that they are way better than whoever wrote 1.0. <laughs> Uh, they introduce a lot of really interesting multifaceted characters. There's like a dragoon who's sort of like, you know, you might think he's like Kane. There's, I don't want to spoil anything. It's really good. Yeah, and some there's some interplay like uh, character that they built up as an enemy 
throughout the ending phases of the original Realm Reborn story comes back and is pretty important and actually travels with your group for a while and everything. And it's it's cool because you're very much playing the silent protagonist, the warrior of light, but there are cutscenes that happen and the people talk about you knowing what you've done in the world. It's not like you're just some no-name scrub in a new place. It's like, oh, we know that you've actually gone and you know, stopped the Garlean Empire from subjugating Aerzia, and you fought all these primals, the summons, and you've done all this stuff, and they recognize, A, that you're famous, and B, that you're talented. So when, when people interact with you, NPCs, like, in towns and people in cutscenes alike, they recognize that, and I think that's cool. Um, yeah, and there's, I agree. There's it good really banter and good like relationships. Yeah, the, the yeah. relationships between the other people around you are, are actually interesting. Like, go ahead. yeah. Like, their characters are, like, a really great Final Fantasy cast. And one of the coolest things they do is so easy to miss every time you complete a main story quest. And this is actually something that Trails in the Sky did pretty well, too. Every time you complete a main story quest, all of the NPC dialogue changes. So, like, you could totally miss, like, mountains and mountains of story and, like, backstory if you choose not to talk to people. But, like, every time there's a story quest, you know, people will be saying something new to react to it if it's appropriate. Yeah. Um, and the the story, you know, goes in some unexpected places. It it does the fake ending thing a couple of times, where it's like, all right, you've you've quelled the threat, and then you're like, oh no, actually, I haven't. Um, I will say that some of the speculation we were making at E3 wasn't too far off. Which is <laughs> yeah, cool. uh, uh, I I think I predicted the final boss. Uh, yeah, I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm a certain somebody spoiled it for me, so I know I'm. I may or may not be right. Uh, it's amazing. That final boss is one of the coolest boss battles I've ever experienced in an RPG. Period. MMO or otherwise. Like, the entire time I was sitting there, I was like, are you kidding me? This that's, is so yeah, cool! That's what literally everybody that I know that has made it to the final boss is just like, I can't believe how cool this is. Is it fun? I don't want to go into spoiler, spoiler territory, obviously, but is it fun thematically? Is it fun gameplay-wise? Is it both? Like, what, what do you guys mean by it's awesome? Like, it's... Well, the music is incredible uh, because it's uh, Masayoshi Soken. The the entire soundtrack is awesome. The soundtrack uh, is incredible. The music is cool. The arena is cool. The foes that you're fighting are really cool. Um, it just it it makes sense within the context of of Heaven's Word story, and it, it is a huge callback to a previous Final Fantasy game, um, right down to the attacks that are used, the animations. Um, it's I know neat what you're because about. yeah, you do it as a group, and you I think it's a group of eight. And so everybody has their roles to fill, and it feels it feels suitably chaotic without being overwhelming. It's not like a really hard fight. It just it's long enough for you to savor, and it's cool looking. Mm-hmm. And I, I really can't say anything else without spoiling entirely what it is. Okay, but it's, okay. It's, it's that, but suffice it to say that they are writing the best Final Fantasy story right now, and not like it's just like not that I would point to IGN as a bastion of whatever, but uh, they even wrote in their review, they were like, this is the best Final Fantasy story in decades. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it is not like a, yeah, this is pretty good for an MMO. It's just legitimately good. Like, there are good characters that are actual personalities. Yeah, and I were, you know, <clears throat> I don't want to be too hyperbolic, but I, I really, do, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to take back what I said about the boss battle. It's great. And I do think the story is absolutely fantastic. I would like a little bit of, you know, I'll sit on it and maybe... I'll cool my enthusiasm a little bit, but I really do think that it's it's super super good and it's worth getting into the game for. I know it's it it is a little bit inaccessible because you do have to beat the original storyline, all of it, before you can even enter the new area in the expansion. And, and how yeah, long you, how long is that storyline? 
the it's new like one or the old one? The old one. Hours. Okay, it's, so it's, it's like a, a full length RPG. Yeah, right. and, and you know, it's I, easier now though. Like they've they've yeah, they've you modified can, you it. can rush through it. I, you, the enthusiasm around Heaven's Word has me thinking about jumping in, but you guys know, like. Steven always says that I'm nuts for playing Diablo 3, mostly single player. Like, I, I just prefer playing my game single player. Do you guys think that I would still enjoy it as a single player experience, or is this something I would have to experience with friends? In, in my opinion, I actually think the game is, to the detriment of its MMO components, the game is very will, is very supportive of playing single player. Because every storyline thing that you do that's not a dungeon is instanced. You have to do it alone. Uh, the only time you need other players is for major boss battles and dungeons, and either the game will automatically match you with people, or you just play with us, and we'll and like you're like, hey, I have to fight a boss, join me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's really uh, it's easy to play. Like you're actually kind of encouraged to get through all of the new stuff on your own. Like Stephen said, mm-hmm. you just yeah. match up with people when you need to do the big things. And I think that I could see you playing through it and just beating the story, Rob, and never doing like end game farming or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's and I think that's totally valid. Uh, you yeah, could, and you could sub for like a month or two months yeah. maybe and get through everything. Okay. In fact, it's actually easier to do that now because they've rebalanced the amount of XP you get from story quests in in the original game to where you can get to level fifty just by playing the story. You don't have to do any side quests or anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, it's very cool. That said, I I have a few complaints about Heaven's Word that I'll talk about in my review. Like again, overall, it's fantastic, and I'm gonna give it a really high score and probably an editor's choice. But there are basically two things that I don't like is that it's even though it adds flying, it's more of the same, which is, you know, what you expect from an expansion, especially since they've added so much in patches that, you know, it's less like, hey, we added some new system. They added flying, which is cool. The three new classes are really cool. They're a little underpowered right now. My problem is that two main problems are that at this point, it has basically become clear to me that every class is sort of just like an archetype rather than like, you know, Every class basically has one unique gimmick, and that's it. Like, all DPS, all you do is deal damage, and then you have one unique cooldown or something. And it, it makes... Like, I started an Astrologian, which is the new healer that has, like, tarot cards and, like, a cool globe. And every single one of my abilities at level 30 was basically identical to my White Mage. And I know it gets different as you go along, um, but it sort of takes away a little bit of the excitement of playing a similar class to yours, because they're so homogenized. Mm. Um, they are pretty similar, yeah. Uh, again, that's something you're only going to notice if you're playing through the game multiple times with multiple classes, because your character, you can change your job. And, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not fun to do that, because I'm still leveling another job. Uh, it's just, it, it takes away a little bit of your feeling of uniqueness. Um, and my other main problem is that the side quest design in Heaven's Word is abysmal. Uh, there are some really good ones up to a point where there's, like, an interesting storyline chain to them, and, you know, they're fun to do. And then you hit a point where you just have to grind side quests that are just so tedious. Like, there's they even commented on it in the recent letter with the producer. Yeah, yeah. Where there's a series of Moogle side quests that you get, like, seriously, like, 40 of them. And they're all just, hey, go to this circle and find a bunch of lost Moogles. Okay. And then you'll finish it. And then they'll be like, all right, we're going to go home. Oh, everybody got scattered again. Go find them again. There's seriously a side quest where they ask you to kill a monster in a certain area and then you finish it and then you get another side quest directly to the left of that guy who wants you to kill the same enemy in the same area Mm. and like the amount you get is so the amount of xp you get for it is just so low that it's it's asinine like there are it's like half a percent of your level or something yeah whereas there are plenty of faster ways to level which is good and it's not that having the side quest is bad because that lets you level other characters and stuff too 
there are plenty of ways to gain XP. It's just for how good the main quest design is, the side quests are a little disappointing because they've shown that they can do better side quests. Even like earlier in Heavensward, the side quests are quite good, and then they just they get to be too plentiful and too. It's 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 that one area mostly too. Like they yeah because I think there's there was a an, a jump in the amount of experience you needed to get to your next level, and they were like, okay, let's just throw more side quests at it, and I don't think that was the right answer, but. You know, yeah, and, and they, no, they are too. side quests, though, right? So, like, we, you could technically ignore them and, and just level through dungeons or whatever. It's just, it's frustrating, like you said, because earlier they are so well designed. And they and the story, there's interesting <clears throat> lore going on because, uh, you know, it takes place in uh, Ishgard, which was closed off. Yeah, there's a Dragon Song War happening. And um, Ishgard was a city that was closed off ever since Final Fantasy XIV version 1. It was looming in the distance, but you could never go there. And so it's cool to finally be there, you know, like, what, five years later? Yeah, and it looks uh, cool and has awesome music. Yeah, and so there's cool stuff, like, talking about, you know, what's going on here, why they've been closed off for so long, who are these people. And then you get to this point where it's just... Moogles it, asking you to do nonsense. Yeah, there's a Moogle village, and that's really cute. And it was really, really neat to discover that. Spoiler, sorry, I guess. I don't know. Um, but the... Th- then it's just side quests of like find the Moogle, find the Moogle, find the Go Moogle. Go find Koopo nuts for four hundred different Moogles. See, and it, again, you don't have to do them though. Like my roommate leveled up purely by doing dungeons. Like I don't think he did any of the side quests for the Moogles. If they would make the Moogle a playable race in that game, I would buy it. <laughs> I would. Yeah, like, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance and Advance Two. Like lore wise, I don't know if they could. They could maybe they could do like a Moogle hybrid race or something. Let's do some. Oh man, now now it's getting. Oh my god, half mobile, half dragon. Yeah. Pom pom on a dragon. And it's kind of telling that this is the last MMO besides WoW that still has a subscription service, is releasing major expansions, seems to be doing very, very well. I think, you know... Other than Final Fantasy XI, which is... Well, well, Final Fantasy XI has been around since I was in middle school. So, I mean, it's been around for a long time. (laughs) But it's very impressive. We've talked again and again about how awesome it is that Square Enix was able to salvage this game, make something very impressive, something that the fans are really enjoying, and there's that's a really, really big positive thing. And you guys talking about how the storytelling is important in this game. It's is, great. That, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, I, I seriously think... That's what sets Final Fantasy apart. Yeah. I agree with Derek completely on that. Mm-hmm. Like, I seriously... Like, if you played the story, Rob, A, you know, we could all join you for anything that was party necessary, but, like, you could solo the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's quite fun. Yeah. I don't... Mm. I don't know. I, I don't think I ever actually will play it, but I am very intrigued by it. You know, yeah. it just. And I, I would say to go read up on it at least, but I think you lose a lot because the the dialogue is very flavorful, very yes, well written. It's dense. It's thick. Yeah. It is very. When I played the the demo of it for a little bit, I was surprised. Like I had to actually sit there and read through all the text. Like, wow, this is written like a novel. That's very cool. Yep. So, and. It, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's Everybody's great. positive on him. It's, it's like all I've been doing with my life. <laughs> it's kind of disgusting. I've been doing it quite a bit. Well, uh, moving away from Heaven's Word a little bit, uh, I got a couple quick hits, and then we'll talk about something new. Uh, I spent last night playing about three hours of Bloodborne with my buddy from... God, we've been friends since elementary school. Um, and it, it was kind of a cool moment because with the password system that they've put into Bloodborne, and now there's going to be a patch come Monday, which will hopefully be when we get this podcast out, uh, they're going to do some level scaling because they opened it up. So as long as you're using a password 
you can actually co-op with any friend that you have and not have to worry about the level requirements. The problem with that was that I could then go and help my buddy with my level 100 character when he's level 10, and I could just decimate all the bosses myself, but now they're adding some level scaling to that on Monday to prevent that kind of thing from happening. But this gets to something that I talked about back with Demon Souls and Dark Souls, which was when the community was big in those games, you didn't have to worry about finding co-op people and, and people to help you with, and there was something really, really special about the the kind of anonymity about who is helping you and kind of like then they're gone as soon as you beat the boss. But when the community dies for the game, you lose that entire part. Like it's almost impossible to co-op with a friend. You have to use a lot of coordination and even then it's still a coin flip. This po- this password feature that they put into Bloodborne allows this game to still be played years from now when the community isn't quite as involved with it. And I don't think it's perfect how they did it, but I I vastly prefer that to, well, no one's playing Demon Souls anymore, so I can't play co-op, and that means that some of the bosses that have been more designed around co-op, I'm going to have a really hard time against them. So that that's one of those little things that I hope the reason why they did that was kind of the foresight to change some mechanically an, an aspect of that. And Steven, I keep telling you I'll, I'll co-op with you, but you just... You I don't want to get down. carried, though. That's that's. It, it's not about considering how little variety there is to the builds in Bloodborne. I don't want to get carried through it because that's the only time I'm going to play the game. But but I would say that when you play that game with the new patch and the level scaling, it won't be a matter of carrying each other through it. You know, because yeah, I, but it it changes having two people changes the dynamic of the boss fights. Like I want to fight the boss battles solo. Okay. Okay. You have fun with the shadows of Yarnum. I'm sure. I'm sure they will treat you just fine. Hey, you're the same guy who told me I would never beat a bunch of stuff solo. <laughs> but you did. You're a better gamer than I am. So uh, uh, no, it's just I prefer. I, I I don't like. It's it's my problem with Final Fantasy 14 when I fall behind with friends. They're like, oh, we'll carry you through this boss fight. I'm like, I don't want to get carried through the boss fight. I want to fight the boss. I can do it myself. You're the kid that got back on the bike like after you fell down the first time and you told your parents, like, leave me alone, I'm going to do it myself. No, I cried and didn't ride a bike for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another quick hit, playing, still playing a lot of Witcher 3. Lots and lots of Witcher 3. I think I have like 70, 75 hours into it now. Uh, The ending is kind of in sight. Uh, I'm waiting for the next 1.07 patch because they are fixing a lot of stuff. They're adding a lot of different tabs for making it so that you can filter through items a hell of a lot easier, which was kind of a necessity. They're adding a stash so you don't have to worry about pawning off every sword that you earn in that game. They've just been doing a good job of updating that game, but I think there is a conversation to be had with okay, the game's been out for almost two months now. I'm super happy that CD Projekt is still working with it. You know, the definitive edition of of Witcher 3 is going to be a fantastic title. But there is that niggling thing in the side of my head that's like, I wish this stuff had been better when I first started playing it because now I'm almost finished the game and I will probably not play it through again and I'm not seeing the best version of the game because of all the patches. Well, to be fair, because again, I agree it would be better if it was that way to begin with, but at a certain point, you know, they're a small studio, they got to get the game out. At least they're more open with it than, you know, hey, we released Battlefield 4, it still doesn't work. I know, I know. Uh, And to be fair, you usually play games more than once. That is So, like, that that you will not play Witcher 3 again is sort of just a consequence of it being the game that it is. Right. And I think that... I really want to write an editorial because 
there's something to be said. I know Jim Sterling talked a lot about games as a service this past week and some of the good examples. And I think Witcher 3, if you're going to consider that to be, you know, games as a service because we're going to keep enhancing the game over the course of some time, I think that's a really positive example. You know, Diablo 3, we've talked about it a million times. That game is night and day different than what it was when it first released. And all you had to do was buy an expansion pack that added tons of additional content. But even then, the base game is still being updated and they've done tremendous things with that title so i think some people are getting it right i think that some of the arkham knight stuff of like spending 20 bucks on the season pass when some of their dlc stuff has been i think disgusting is probably From what i hear the harley quinn dlc and the robin or whichever the first two were are literally yeah. like 30 minutes long yeah uh people were saying that the under the red hood one was six minutes long like one oh. combat encounter that's getting yeah that that's i think we've all realized that the wb doesn't care about its its audience at all like right. they are like they're they know that they can get away with it so they're like yeah we'll release a broken game and sorry about that we'll fix it later you already paid for it i mean that game got taken off of steam i don't think i've ever seen that before where a title was just full-blown taken down because it was not playing properly like yikes so i you know there's bad examples but then i i like we talk about all the time i want to hold up the good examples i want to hold up the games that are doing it right i think witcher 3 is doing it right i just do wish that i had played the best version of witcher 3 but you're right small development studio they're listening to their fans they're making adjustments i just wish i had a stash the whole time because i've broken down almost every unique sword i've gotten in that game because i didn't want to carry them all around and i couldn't but Witcher 3 is still fantastic. Steven, have you been playing it, or are you completely off the bandwagon right now? Uh, I, I played it for a few minutes, and like I desperately want to keep playing it, but the problem is that Heavensward is really good. And yeah. like oh. Heavensward, I, ironically, I think can finish quick more quickly than The Witcher. And it works out well, because now I can wait until the stash is out, and you know, because I have a lot of gear that I don't want to get rid of, because it's unique. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's just the, the improvements and stuff, so I'm like, yeah, I can uh, hold off until that patch comes out. That, that's how I've I've started behaving with games. When I know a major patch is coming that's going to fix some of the things, they're actually putting a new movement system in for Geralt that is a toggle. So you can actually toggle how he moves and behaves. I I still don't know what that means. I don't like, know what it means either. I want to know what it means. Because they're like, yeah, it's a movement response mode. And I'm like, he already responds when you move. Like, I don't know yeah. how no, that would be well, They're just buzzwords, man. To, to be fair, he responds, but he takes a couple seconds to respond. He, he kind of... It's the momentum argument that it we had. It responds awkwardly. What I kind of, what I would really want is for them to move the attack buttons to the the two right trigger buttons. I, I know someone's going to say you just want it to play like Dark Souls, but that way I could move the camera around while I'm in combat because that camera is not good. That it, Steven's having an easy time with it because he gets to use the mouse when he's in combat to use the to move the camera around. I can only choose between am I going to attack something or move the camera so I can see it. Mm. And I think that that's, a, that's an oversight that some people have been able to work with because in the PlayStation 4 you can remap buttons. So some people have actually gone in and done that and said, wow, this controls way better because I can move the camera around. So, You know my thoughts on that. I know. I, I think CD Projekt Red will listen, and I think that that will be added to the game. I don't know if that's this new movement response system, but... We'll no, my thoughts were just use a mouse and keyboard. I, I know, and you're insane. Uh, but people seem to have really good luck with the controller, so I mean, you know, it's good that they're at least going to be adding that yeah. that will 
I, I feel like the game's racing toward the finish line. There was a really awkward moment in terms of story where all of a sudden Geralt was just told by a character, we need to go here, and he kind of did his derpy like, okay. And I ended up on like this huge long sidetrack that I couldn't actually break away from. It's like very set piece moment by moment. And it kind of culminated in a huge giant battle that probably should have been the end of the game, and now it feels very awkward that it wasn't. Like, it, I think that game's it's showing some of the pacing issues that I know reviewers were complaining about. Like the the last act of the game feels a little rushed and a little thrown together, whereas the first two acts are very open and very freeing, and lots of different things are going on, and you're interacting with lots of characters. This kind of felt like we need to go here because reasons, and like I had no concept of why I was there, and that was the first time in the whole game that I felt like that. For the sake of advancing the plot, man, that's why you yeah. have to go there. We need to go here. Why? Reasons. Plot uh, reasons. I'll comment on it when I get there. Yeah, I, I I don't think you'll find it as jarring as I did. Maybe it was also because I had just gotten back from E3, so I picked it up and immediately went into that series of quests and was like, whoa, whoa. Well, there's also the Rob principle, which is that the end of every game is bad. I think endings are very difficult. <laughs> I think No, no, no. We've talked about that before. I think endings are very, very difficult in any form of media. You know, no one's going to be happy 100% with the ending of Game of Thrones. Everybody knows that. Nobody was 100% happy with the end. We're already unhappy. Yeah, you guys are already unhappy. But, like, people weren't happy about the ending of Harry Potter. I have problems with the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi. I don't like how William Shatner's uh, James T. Kirk died in Star Trek. Spoilers. I don't... Generations Bay. Yeah, endings are hard. Endings are really, really hard. And I think that, you know, I'm trying to think back to good RPG endings. I thought Persona 4 ended very well. I think that that game ends phenomenally well. I think Tag it keeps going three. and going it, it keep, and going well, well, and spinoffs. Yeah, but, like, I, I think that there are good well. endings. I think Xenosaga ended well. Xenosaga ended well, especially considering how much of the story they had to basically cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Six games became three. There was kind of some uh, some news like lurking around a little bit, saying that they didn't quite get enough of a fan response to go with the HD collection yeah. of Sino Saga, but they were looking at other avenues. Please mm. look forward to it. So, in other words, I would play it. Downloadable release. I, I would play the three Xeno Saga games again because I didn't pick I up would two too. or three. Yeah. I'd try. I mean, two I would probably weird, play but... three again. Yeah, three three is is clearly the best. Everybody I've watched it. like I two is the I, I I watched one and I played two and I liked two but I think two is probably the weirdest of them. Yeah, that's yeah. saying something. <laughs> <laughs> that well, is... two is basically just like it's almost like a little interlude between the first the first one and the third one, right? Right. It's, yeah. It's, it's yeah, so character focused on Junior and Albedo that you lose a lot of the main overarching plot. I mean, it all contributes to the plot, but. Well, you know, you can tell, too, if you read, like, the data log when they talk about the war that happens in between mm-hmm. 2 and 3. And it's like, like, hey, what? did we lose a game here? Yes, we did. Hmm. Xenosaga 3 opens with Shion storming some facility. And I'm like, what's going on? What? Like, she's a scientist. She's part of what some kind happening? of resistance group or something? I have no idea. That's how I felt with the opening of Avengers 2, where I was like, why are they all just battling Hydra? When did Thor get back? Like, what is going on here? I felt like I'd missed everything. Did you yeah. watch Thor 2? Yes! But he went back home! 
Yeah, but the bridge was repaired, so it's a piece of cake for and him to go back, back now. Yeah. yeah, but like I, I could have used like a thirty-second scene of like everybody gathered around a map, being like, "We need to hit this Hydra fortress." Instead, it was sure? just like explosion. Yeah, I actually like. Maybe they, they were giving you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess. That's because I feel that's like what Agents you... of Shield is for. Yeah, uh-huh. it, that, that's also true. Because I feel like I could, I could see you making the opposite argument, Rob. Of like, oh, I didn't need them to sit there and stare at a map and tell me that this is what they're gonna do. Just show me the action, like. It's okay, Mad Max was a way better film. Well, yeah, because Mad Max is a better film than most films. Yeah, Mad Max is a Best Picture nominee. It should be. It should be. No like, way that movie's going to win. I love that I movie, think, but that movie's well, not going to win anything. I, no, I, uh, it's going to win Best Cinematography. Otherwise, we have a serious it's problem. It's going to win like Best Soundtrack or some yeah, award that they don't give a shit about. But there, there is... It, it, uh, go with me on this. I was I was drinking scotch with my brother-in-law the other night, and we were we were having a conversation about this, and he made the exact point you did. But also remember that the way the Oscars kind of works, it can go in cycles, and weird stuff can happen. The Oscars took a ton of flack for Birdman winning, and everybody saying that this was the most pretentious pick that they've ever made in the past 20 years. There is an element of now they go for the crowd pleaser, the way that Titanic won, the way that uh, Return of the King won. I'm sorry, those two those two movies are fine. Best Picture, really? I mean, Return of the King got it because it was a spectacle. It got it because of what Peter Jackson did, making three movies that nobody thought that he could make, and the amount of work that went into it. As a film for that to win Best Picture, really? Yeah. Really? So there might be enough of a backlash on Birdman, which I still haven't seen. I don't have an opinion on it yet. But there might be enough of a backlash where Mad Max could all of a sudden go from Dark Horse to, holy crap, this just won the Best Picture. Mad Max was... Mad Max was really good. <laughs> it Very was. articulate. But it, it's also like the whole Martin Scorsese winning for The Departed, which The Departed is a great film. It is not his best film. You know, well, in Goodfellas. a year it could be. Well, Goodfellas was his best film, but what won that year? Dances with Wolves, which everybody now looks back on and goes, yeah, Goodfellas should have won. Like, that was weird. But that's it's 2020, though. Yeah, I, oh, exactly, exactly. So let, let's see what happens with Mad Max. But I think George Miller will. I think George Miller could win Best Director easy, and that movie, if it doesn't win cinematography, that's a train wreck. That that's a that's highway robbery. I agree. Okay. Uh, I got an RPG to talk about that's absolutely nuts, and actually, is it Rocket League? No, it kind of fits in with the Rocket Mad Max. League. It kind of fits in with the Mad Max. You know post-apocalyptic archery type thing um lisa the painful rpg which i picked up on steam sale this past week it was only five dollars and it's a game i'd wanted to play for a long time a lot of comparisons to earthbound and how its combat is handled and i don't know what to make of this game i think and this is 100 percent shallow observation that it has a gross art style that reminds me of binding of isaac it is not yeah. as gross as Binding of Isaac, but I totally agree with your assessment. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't say that as a value statement on the game itself. But. Right, but it, it is a gross game. It, it is a game about, like, as far as I can tell, because it, it tells its story in kind of piecemeal chunks, and there's, there's a very surreal quality to it. Uh, the world has ended, 
and the only people that are left are just kind of like the basest human beings of uh, imaginable. And you're playing as a character named Brad who finds like a young girl, like a baby, and raises her to probably about the age of six or seven, and then she goes missing. And she's like the one girl in this totally debaucherous world, and he's on a quest to save her. And it's just, like, some of the scenarios that I've run into in this game are just, like, head-scratching. Like, just moments of, like, a bunch of children being lit on fire. And just, like, what am I watching right now? Or, like, your party members can be kidnapped. And if you don't go and save them, they will die, and it's permadeath, and they are gone for good. So You can lose limbs and stuff, too, can't you? Yeah, you can lose limbs. Like, I, I got hit upside the head with a 2x4, and so, like, now my eyesight is all jacked up. It's just a very weird game. I don't know if I like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, like, when these children are being lit on fire, do you feel like that is is like sort of building this this terrible setting or is it just like oh we're gonna light these children on fire to to be weird and to be dark or whatever? i think it's more of a to me this might get very inflammatory here so i want to i want to very carefully navigate this minefield to me this game is being written as an observation of what everybody thinks the internet and message board forums are so it is like, it's okay that a bunch of children just got lit on fire. This isn't a big deal. Here are all these characters that have been killed in, in horrible, nasty ways. This is fine. But there's a depressing... I'm happy with how this is going. Right, but there's a depressing quality to it. So, like, Brad is actually a drug addict. And so if he doesn't take his drug of choice, he starts, like, just absolutely sucking in combat. So you're trying to like handle and manage his drug addiction. So I don't, I don't think it's shock value, Jesse. If that kind of answers your your question, it's not being done for shock value. It's establishing this world that just sucks. Like the, <laughs> this world just sucks. Yeah. And, and it's not going to be for everybody. I know Derek has talked about like he didn't really like The Witcher. He didn't really like Dark Souls. Like he doesn't like those kinds of downtrodden i'm trying to find the but weirdly enough i'm okay with finding of isaac right you know that's it's i don't know i've looked into lisa and it has vaguely earthboundy sensibilities but it is not at all no you know it's 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 really twisted like you said i think depraved would be the most yes accurate word to describe it the reason people bring up earthbound is because it's pixel art style is kind of similar in that respect it's combat looks very similar uh, but it is not Earthbound. This is not a you know whimsical tale of children trying to save the world. This is like, oh, I'm going to kill your friend unless you cut off your arm. Now, if you cut off your arm, now you have a bunch of stat bonus, uh, stat deficiencies that you're going to have to deal with for the rest of the game. Would you Do like you to play save- a game? Yeah, it's it's a really weird title, but it's one of those experimental games that I I'm just sitting there stroking my beard, observing, going. <laughs> oh. Your beard. My beard. You're such a child. Uh, And see, but that kind of comment that Steven just made, that would fit perfectly in this game, if that makes sense. Like, it it is that kind of game. It is that kind of eye-winking, like, if South Park just went all the way, (laughs) just until it finally just became, like, this, I don't know, this anomaly in space and collapsed in on itself. (laughs) 
but it's it's cool. I, I would almost suggest trying it. The music is is kind of fun because it's very bit tuney, like has some musicality to it. Give it a shot if if you want something a little different. But I, I don't think everyone's going to walk away from it. it. It's kind of the not everybody's going to enjoy walking away from it or or what they experience with it, or maybe they will enjoy walking away from it when you think about it and not have it Ah. play it again. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it's kind of challenging. It's, it's challenging what you do in a game. Like at one point in order to get a power up, I had to hurt myself. I had to keep jumping off of a cliff and taking damage over and over again until I like appeased this dude. And he's like, all right, I'll teach you the skill now. Like that's the world that you're living in. It's like, if this world just sucked, well, it's it's cool that a game like that can exist now in like the current market. Yeah, there was the uh, there was an old browser, or maybe not necessarily a browser based game, but there was an old game called Lisa the First. That was the development uh, team's first game. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Lisa the First, and then uh, they did this game, the Painful RPG, and then Lisa the Joyful is coming out this summer, and they're saying that that will kind of complete the trilogy. So I I think I'm going to keep playing it. Apparently it's only like 10 to 13 hours, and I've put about two or three into it so far. It does have sort of some of the old school RPG trappings of like, what what person do I have to talk to to continue the story moving? And there was one moment where I was just walking around for an hour, completely confused where to go, and I had missed one doorway. And I did that like head-slapping moment of like, gah! How stupid. Have you guys ever done that in a game? Like where all of a sudden you oh, just yeah. felt like, ah, oh, man, come on. All the time. I'm remembering back to cross-dressing Cloud and, like, taking hours and hours to talk to everybody to get everything together to put on my my massive cosplay performance. Do squats. <laughs> you gotta do squats with gotta Big do Bro. Squats. You gotta do squats with Big Bro. Go to Honeybee Inn. Like, it, it's got Go to Honeybee Inn and get sexually assaulted. <laughs> Was he sexually assaulted in Honeybee Inn? Uh, I, I don't know. He wakes up in a room with a, with a dude... Wearing a thong, and he's like, ah. He didn't go to the Honeybee Inn to cuddle. I I don't know. I don't. I'm 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 not sure that I'm comfortable with what happened to Cloud. (laughs) In retrospect, (laughs) I I would say when it comes, pick up Lisa if you want to try something a little different. Like, I I have some problems with it. I think the combat is kind of it's a little boring. Like there there isn't a whole lot to it, but it's got like characters that you can do kind of button press combinations sort of like Sabin from Final Fantasy VI and that's mm-hmm. kind of fun. Uh, it's got cool status effects like all of a sudden your character feels weird and like they won't hit things as hard anymore. Like it, it's just a weird ass game. That's all I can really describe it. I'm kind of at a loss for words even trying to describe it to people. Jackie watched me play a little bit of it and she's like, "What are you playing?" I'm like, "I don't know." What? I, indeed. <laughs> I really don't know. And it made me want to get back into South Park. I still really want to finish Stick of Truth. I just fell off that game. And they're kind of similar in that respect. Like 2D, moving around the environment, kind of puzzly, like starting different things. And the way it handles combat. I think the two games are similar in a lot of ways. But that's Lisa. I can dig it. Oh, hi, Lisa. Oh, hi, Lisa. Lisa, why? Jesse, you haven't talked a whole lot. What are you playing lately? Uh, well, in my usual way, I'm behind the times. I'm playing Dragon Age Inquisition. Nobody expects it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm having a really great time with it. I'm not much of a, a Western RPG person normally, so this is kind of a 
like revelation for me that mm-hmm. I'm enjoying this game that much. Did you play Origins or two? I played maybe the first half hour of Origins. I tried it, couldn't get into it. Um, just nothing really kind of clicked with me. The, like the way combat worked, just it it wasn't my thing. Also, Very old school PC RPG style. Yeah. Were you playing it on PC or on console? Uh, I played both, both on uh, console. Yeah. Oh God, because Origins on console was just like, <laughs> like that that so, game needed tactical view in order to be able to move around the environment. But I'm sorry. Yeah, it felt clunky. It didn't. Anyways, I'm I'm enjoying Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, you know, I'm playing it on the PS3. And I was a little disappointed to hear that the new, all the new like DLC is not going to be on the PS3 mm-hmm. or n- yeah. not going to be on you know last gen, which I mean I understand, um, and maybe it's just time for me to upgrade. But I think it's time, dude. You got to put all that good lawyer money to good use, <laughs> and it's it's time to do it. Um, hey, mo- most lawyers don't make very much money for a long time, especially in modern. Well, Jesse will. We're just going to start suing people left and right. <laughs> I don't think the lawyer right. gets that much money when you just sue people. We will make this work. We will. But I'm glad you're enjoying Inquisition. I think Inquisition's a great game. I would be... I, I want to know if that makes you kind of like... O- opens you up to more uh, Western RPGs and if you start playing The Witcher. Like, I kind of want to see what your thought process is if you go from Inquisition to Witcher. I'm really glad I played him in that order. Because I, 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 th- I think I would have had a hard time going back to Inquisition after playing Witcher. I like yeah, like I love Inquisition. Yeah. And like I still like it, but playing Witcher sort of retroactively makes me like parts of Inquisition less. Mm-hmm. Because Witcher feels mm-hmm. more like a world, whereas Inquisition feels more like a game world. Yeah. Oh, Witcher is so good. Derek, did you give Witcher another shot or are you just you out of it? I'm pretty out of it. Okay. No, it's it's not for everybody. Uh well, yeah, I definitely want to try it now. I mean, after hearing everyone on the site, how much they love it, and after getting into Inquisition, I feel like, okay, there's a whole new, whole new world. Like there's a whole new... Yeah, exactly. You're, you're growing up. <laughs> did Peter just celebrate his 21st birthday? Did I see that right on Peter Facebook? Peter did just yes. celebrate his 21st yes, birthday. Did. Oh, my God. <laughs> that made me feel so... Maybe Ben Wyatt's grown up. Everybody has to agree with me that Peter sounds just like Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec. Like, I, I, told, I told him, and he was like, I've never watched Parks and Rec, and I'm like, you are Ben Wyatt. If I watched Parks and Rec, I'm sure I would agree with you. He has the same exact vocal mannerisms. Like, I'm waiting for him to, like, look at the camera every time somebody says something strange. <laughs> yeah, similar, similar mannerisms. His voice sounds a little bit, and that his voice is a little bit, a little bit higher than, I don't it's a little yeah, bit, it's a little bit similar, little similar mannerisms, yes. All right, so now, Stephen, you have VA-11 Hall-A to talk about. Yes. Uh, sorry, I've been playing Mega Man Legends the whole time we've been podcasting, but let me change gears real quick here. Uh, yeah, so I heard about this game, like, some person on Twitter retweeted, I don't remember. I, I heard about it, and it sounded cool. So it's a ridiculous name, VA-11 Hall-A. It's Valhalla, and it is a cyberpunk bartending sim uh, that's basically a visual novel. Uh, but instead of, you know, going out and solving puzzles, you know, uh, 999 or VLR style, you brew drinks. And so there's a playable demo slash first chapter of it that gives a pretty solid idea of what the game is like. 
Um, it has awesome music and a really cool, like, sort of, I would say, early 90s anime Sega CD vibe in terms of the graphics. Um, but very much like modern writing and that sort of thing. Uh, but basically, the gist of the demo is you are playing this bartender in a cyberpunk dystopian society. And uh, the whole focus of the game seems to be on basically brewing drinks and listening to people tell you their stories. Uh, you know, the demo I played did not have dialogue options. It was, what will you brew? Uh, and so, for example, the, this person comes in and she goes, oh, give me something classy. And, you know, you, you have your, your bartender's guide. There's like, you know, you can do it by cost, by what alcohol it includes, by, you know, adjective, you know, like classy, sweet, fun. Um, oh, all so things you, that describe me. Right? Exactly. <laughs> it's the Derek simulator, if you will. And, oh, uh... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> somebody just so, comes, somebody comes up to the bar and goes, I want the Dark Souls of drinks. I want the Dark Souls of drinks. And you just type in, you know, you go in. But that's, so, that's called a pangalactic gargle blaster, my friend. And you will have... <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> so you're brewing your pan galactic argle masters for everybody, and uh, it's from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. No, no, yeah, no, I got you. I don't. Okay. You read Hitchhiker's Guide? No, I have not. <sighs> Rob, I have not. I stop tr- reading that guy Mark Lawrence and go no, read Hitchhiker. I, I tried reading Hitchhiker like three times, and just it was a whole lot of nope. I don't know what happened. I, I feel like I'm broken. I'm. You. I'm numerically disappointed in you right now it's quantitative the amount of disappointment i am feeling um but so this game has a sort of cool you know visual novel style to it um but so for example in the demo you're you know you're they're like oh it's a quiet night at the bar and some girl comes in and you know you're talking to her and she'll ask you for certain drinks and then you have your options are, you know, what drink am I going to mix? And then, you know, you look up the recipe and then you have to add all the things to the tumbler. You, you know, you can age it. You can add ice to it. You can put it, you know, and you mix it and blend and so on and so forth. So, like, the core gameplay is sort of, it's, it's, it's pretty basic. You're just mixing these beverages. Um, but it creates a really cool atmosphere. And uh, depending on what drinks you mix, it affects the dialogue. You know, like, if the girl says, make me something sweet and you make her something super cheap. Versus something really top shelf and expensive, uh, you know, A, it affects how much money you make, and B, it affects what they say to you. Like, you know, if she comes in and you make her something, you can choose to make it without alcohol because she looks kind of young. And she's like, no, nah, I'm, t- I'm, I'm of age. Uh, if you make it without alcohol anyway, the dialogue is totally different because she's like, what the hell? I told you I was, I told you I was old enough. Uh, you know, and so you're the, the, it's basically they're telling you their stories. And, you know, you're just having, you know, it's like going to a bar, only it's in, you know, cyberpunk future. You know, and the, you're, you're the bartender who has to be the, the, the calm ear for everybody to sort of drop their stories on. And, uh, you know, so what I really liked is I played the demo a couple times and the, what you talk about changes quite a bit depending on how, how you interact with them through the beverage that you mix. So, hmm. and the writing is good. So... I was really hooked on the demo, and then it ends way too quickly. Uh, it's not... I don't think the game is done yet. Um, but, you know, you can follow it. I think it's... I think the website is the uh, abhorrent waifu bartending, but that is not what it is. But yeah, that's I the just, website. I just plugged that in, and I was uh, just like, oh... Like, it's it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing, though. Uh, but again, if you didn't know that, you might think it's literally a waifu bartending game. Uh, but no, it's... You know, if you like that, that's cool, too, I guess. But... For me, it had the sort of nuanced writing that I really like. And it's it's very, like, if you're expecting, like, oh, I'm going to go and bartend to save the world, that's 
that's not sort of what this game is trying to do, it seems like. It's more like, you know, this is literally like everyone lives in this downtrodden society and stuff kind of sucks and you're just listening to people and talking to them. So, you know, it's it's if you don't like visual novels, it's probably not for you. But uh, as a concept and as an execution of that concept, I think it's great. Uh, well worth trying out the demo. It'll take you 30 minutes, maybe. Um, and it just it creates a really cool mood that I think is very unique, even among visual novels. And absolutely is something I'll play when it comes out. I love the visual aesthetic. Yeah, it looks yeah. cool. Yeah. It's very like Sega CD era anime art style. So the uh, good Sega CD, like not not like Sewer Shark or whatever the hell it was. It's, it's like a read-only memories that upcoming adventure game yeah. that's inspired by Snatcher and yeah, uh, yeah, it's very yeah. similar. And Rob, yeah. let's not talk bad about Sewer Shark. We don't want to say anything we might regret later. I know. Well, that's why we have our attorney here. Okay, we're we're we're, we're going to be just fine. We're going to. I would. Just... I'd rather but talk yeah. about Calibri, arguably the finest, arguably the Saturn's hummingbird. finest hummingbird-based shooter. <laughs> Couldn't even finish it. It's okay. <laughs> what i'm here for but no i i derek i definitely think you would like it i think rob would like it too and i don't know your taste well enough yet jesse to know if you'd like it but you should certainly try it because again it's 30 minutes it's free there's no and that's just the demo is the is 30 minutes right yeah is there it's a like full... the prologue is there like it's... a full game or it's not it's not done yet this okay is a sort of which is smart because with a game like this you know it's like how do you sell a game where it's like you're a cyberpunk bartender? It's like, well, you let somebody try it. Yeah, you you need to get people in front of it to kind of figure out whether or not they want it. But it doesn't sell itself immediately quite like butt sniffing pugs does. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which a bunch of podcasts mentioned butt sniffing pugs, and I was just like, Derek was on top of that first. All right, let's uh, let's. Oh man, you were there. You were there. Head of the curve. Speaking of visual novels. There yeah. is a god. There is a god, ladies and gentlemen. And oh, yeah. That was one of my news stories. Yes. The big news story out is we are getting Zero Escape 3. Yay! There oh. is a... As soon as Steven texted me that, what, what did I text back with you? You better not be effing with me. Yeah, you were like, <laughs> you're lying to me. And I was like, no, I'm not lying. <laughs> I was like, if you are... Payback for Metroid, with, right? I was like, do not screw with me right now. This, this is serious. This is like if somebody said to me, we're going to do a second season of Kings. And I would just be like, do you, you need to not be screwing or pulling my leg. But yeah, I uh, Zero... I know what you were talking about. It, Kings was an absolutely phenomenal television show that got canceled way before it's time that that's one of those shows that like when you finish it you're just angry because everything that they <laughs> set up everything that they set up you're like wow i want to know more about this and it got canceled it, it's my firefly okay i'll put it that way for the people that like overrated sci-fi it, it it is my version of, of firefly all right and i understand the firefly pain but this was actually a good show um, firefly is a great show that's that's fine if it was so great then everybody would have gone and seen serenity and guess what they didn't just like how Arrested Development was such a bad show that it can't... Oh, right! Never mind, you can't always rely on the audience. That... Okay, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Uh, but yeah, Zero Escape 3 was announced at... It was announced at Anime Expo, right? They they kind of had a big thing, and they said, we are making this. It is due out next year in uh, North America and Japan. So next summer, we're going to get it. PlayStation Vita and Nintendo 3DS. And I, I had to go back and start reading through wikis just to remember how insane the story of Virtue's Last Reward was, I am so on board with this game. I, I just don't even know where they're going to go. Apparently it's going to take place on Mars. Just bring it on. Am well, I, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense if you played VLR. Yeah, it does. It does. I'm just really, really excited for this yeah, game right now. It's it's almost like 
they don't have to market that game to me in any way. They're like, yeah, you get a watch if you pre-order a bird. Doesn't matter. Don't okay. care. Buying okay. it one hundred percent day one. I will play it until I'm dead. Well, and and this yeah, was yeah. like, uh, I agree with you, Stephen. And and to go back to like our talk about Persona Five uh, from E3, which was yeah, there was some disappointment that they didn't really show anything new. But as Derek was saying, as Steve was, as everybody was saying, that game is just around the corner apparently. And there were some leaks the other day that were kind of pointing toward a December release. I don't know how reliable that is, but. I'm already on board. I don't need to see anything else about this game. That's, like, I'm I'm ready. That's actually one of the reasons I have a lot of respect for Atlas because, again, Square Enix is doing a lot better, but they definitely overmarket their stuff now. Uh, Atlas is like, we don't need to show you anything else from Persona Five. You got the aesthetic. We yes, showed you three God. characters. We're done. Like the yes. game will come out and you can play it because they need to not like somehow managing to not know anything about Persona Four when I finally played Golden was great and like. P5 has already marketed itself on the strength of their art style and whatnot. So, yeah. And, and listening to other podcasts, there was a lot of anger like, oh, I want to see gameplay. I want to see all the characters. I'm like, no. Don't need to see gameplay. I, I don't need to see gameplay. I know it's going to be fine. Like, that. that is not. You do not need to sell me on that franchise right now. Okay. Some games you got to sell me on. Like, I wasn't on board with Until Dawn until I got my hands on a controller and I got to play it at E3. And I was like, okay, this is. This is pretty good. I'm I'm interested in this, but I really don't need to know more about Persona 5. I really don't need to know more about Zero Escape 3. You know what? For that matter, I really don't need to know more about the Final Fantasy 7 remake. I'm on board. All right? Let's just get these games out. Like don't even worry about making demos for them. If that's going to take away from development time, let's just just get it out. Just get it out and do it. I think I'm becoming increasingly exhausted with the marketing cycles for a lot of games. Just because it's become common practice to show trailer, you know, there will be companies that will release a trailer every two weeks for a game, and it'll outline basically oh, the entire God. plot. Usually, they'll they'll say, "Here, we're going to outline," and and not just plot elements, but they'll say something like, "This week's trailer is going to be on this particular battle mechanic," and it's like, I don't need a trailer for that. Just yeah, to, let to, me discover it, man. To play the Hurt and Heal game, Atlas is doing great marketing Persona 5. Atlas overmarkets everything else. Yeah. It's uh, like, yeah, there's that's... 400 trailers for one feature, and I'm like, guys, let me play the game. Right. Yeah, Etrian Mystery Dungeon or whatever, a new trailer for each class. Oh, my God. As a yeah. as a news writer, yeah. that was terrible. <laughs> that's why I just started smoking, and I gave up and that's not... for the website. I just said, enough's enough. Like, I can't right. write any more of this. I don't even think that's especially digestible as its own thing. Like, you look at the classes in Etrian Odyssey and you make a party because you want it to have a certain balance or you want certain abilities. It's not the kind of thing where you watch a trailer and think, oh man, I can't wait to be a lance-necked. That's yeah. what I want my character to be, you know? Like, <laughs> right. Nobody cares about that. I hate to say it. And I think it's just them trying to keep the game in people's minds more than anything. Mm-hmm. But I find myself very, very tired of that kind of marketing because it's, it's everywhere It's overexposure. Now. I don't care. It's, yeah. it's very similar to the Hollywood trend of we're going to show you every important scene in trailers yep. before the movie's out. Yep. Yep. Get the whole movie before uh, the trailer's over. Let's talk about Terminator Genesis that spoiled the main oh plot twist. God. Oh my god! The trailer. Yes! I know. Like, I know. And don't get me wrong. Like, Was that movie good, for, by the way? Maybe they're doubling down. Are Was that they, movie good? Is the movie out? I, I haven't seen it yet, yeah, but I want to go out. see it. I hear, it's, I hear it's pretty rough, but Arnold's performance is very good. I just bought Maggie the other day. Like that's I want to watch that. That's that the Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's basically The Last of Us with well, Arnold it's, Schwarzenegger. It's actually, I think it's either directed or produced by the same person that did The Last of Us. So really? there you go. 
And let's let's talk from an academic standpoint about how Arnold has done like 14 different roles where he's a father making up for mistakes. Yeah. Uh, like, and if you read his book and like watch his interviews, like, you know, that the whole cheating on his wife thing, like he's pretty repentant. And I'm like, wow, his career is basically I'm sorry. Yeah. I, well, instead of like doubling down like Donald Trump, like, well, yeah. Donald, you, you want to talk about the sanctity of marriage, but you've been married three times. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> but it's different. He loves marriage so much that he got married three it, times. Yeah, he just wanted to experience marriage more than once. Well, you know, his business empire makes marriage a tough prospect, okay? Dude, I, I love the Family Guy joke of uh, when Brian's trying to get uh, – trying his cousin's trying to get married to his partner, and Lois is going on about gay marriage, and her dad is just like, who's talking about love? We're talking about married marriage. And, and <laughs> Lois is like, so two straight people who hate each other can get married, but two gay people who love each other can't? And that kind of just put everything like, oh, yeah, that, that's kind of perspective right there. Hmm, all right. Anywho, we got political there. Didn't mean to do that. but uh, I'm just not going to respond I'm, to a family guy. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Uh, there, I don't nothing, understand the reference, and I won't respond there, to it. There's nothing, wrong, there's nothing wrong with that with that stance, Derek. Uh, but how did we get down this this track? We talked about yeah, actually, Genesis. <laughs> we talked about Maggie. Oh, we were talking about, oh, spoiler, we were talking we were about Zero Escape. twists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we were talking about spoilers and stuff, and like, you know, thinking back to some of the other games that we saw at E3, like, uh, you don't need to sell me on The Last Guardian. Like, I don't actually want to see anything else for The Last Guardian. Or, yeah, now that I know it exists, yeah, yep. I, I, they, I, they've done their job. I don't want to know any more about Horizon Zero Dawn. Like, I want to play that. I'm I don't, I don't need to see anything else from Uncharted 4. They've shown me everything I need to know. Yeah, right. I think I just miss the sense of mystery and the sense yeah. of wonder of starting games semi-blind. Like, I, I generally research games, of course, before I buy them to make sure they're what I want. But I, I like, you know, some of my, my fondest gaming experiences are games that I didn't know a lot about beforehand. And that's probably because of the nature of communication as it is today, because we are so... We have so much information available to to us, and we can just very easily go look up whatever we want. But I remember Shadow of the Colossus, for example. I, I remember seeing previews in magazines and thinking, okay, this is like Ico, and it's it looks kind of dark and uh, melancholy, and I, I'm just very interested in this world. And I played it, and that game stunned me yeah. repeatedly. Yeah. There were so many yeah. points in that game where you're just in awe of what's happening in front of you. And like if I would have had a, a damn trailer... The first Colossus, you know, the, like, like every the week. first time I, I yes, like that, it that would have spoiled that moment. Like yeah, I yeah. didn't know anything about that game. I was just like, I like Deco. I'm going to play this. And I, then, I, like you finally get on top of the first Colossus and it starts playing the epic music and you're like, oh, my God. I saw a little bit because I watched like two trailers for it, but I, I only knew like one or two Colossi going into that game. But I, I totally get where you, what you guys are saying, like. Now I can go online and I can watch a 40-minute video for The Phantom Pain. And don't get me wrong, like, I loved watching that video. I got to see so many things in that game that look interesting. But some of the mystique is now gone. Like, some of the... It, it, it's a trade-off. And you almost have to discipline yourself as a consumer of media. So, like, I saw too many bosses for Bloodborne. And I am mad at myself for that. Like, I I tried to do media blackout on that game, but, like, when a screenshot would come out showing a new boss, it's like, as soon as my eyes see it, it's there, it's in my head now. And there's also something to be said for now, we, we consume media much more by video, like, watching a video game demo, watching someone play the game, whereas back in the day, you were reading it in EGM, 
and they were describing the Metal Gear Solid 2 trailer to you. Like, you couldn't actually watch it unless you were at E3. So here's a description of everything that happened in the game, and that's when, like, your brain just starts racing through all the different possibilities of what you could be experiencing. Well, we're it's gonna... like, to Go ahead. give it a, a personal example, I didn't know any of, like, I knew most of the worlds going into the first Kingdom Hearts because I went berserk, but, like, in Kingdom Hearts 2, like, I watched a lot of footage, but, like, I didn't know half the world. So, like, you get to Tron, and I was like, oh, my God, it's a Tron world. What is happening? Yeah. they. I think they need to do a better job of, you know, maybe the full-on blackout of Persona 5 is a bit much, but that's also an IP that doesn't really need to sell to an audience anymore. The audience is already there. They're going to buy the game. People bought PlayStation Vitas just to play Persona 4 Golden, so... I think that some games can get away with it, but I don't need to see a breakdown of every feature of your game. I don't need to see tons and tons of gameplay. Win me over with a two to three minute video showing me an idea of what your game is, and I'm on board. I've bought so many indie games on Steam just like watching something or playing it briefly. Like I played Nuclear Throne for like three minutes at E3, and I was like, yep, I'm going to buy this. That was fun. I enjoyed that. I don't need to see any more about it. Uh, overexposure yeah. is a thing. Well, I think there's also an incentive problem, like what we were talking about with Atlas, sort of over-marketing a lot of their games. Just the the gaming market is so competitive right now, and there's so much out there that everyone is clamoring for attention, right? And so the way these companies are doing that is just by throwing out more videos, more more images, right. you know, just like more information. Yeah, and it, it becomes too much at a point, and I mean what are they going to do? Not market their game the same way other people are and mm-hmm. lose out on the money. I mean, well, I, I also don't know how I feel about, um, when the embargo lifts on a preview and every major website brings out the exact same preview of the exact same game. So like when, when metal gear solid fives preview went up for E three, you had destructoid polygon, IGN GameSpot, all with their special news story. Like this is the exclusive look at metal gear solid five, the pan and pain. And it was just the exact same descriptions of everything. And then they start trying to one-up each other. Then you start breaking down with like the game's radar. The top 15 reasons why The Phantom Pain will be the game of the year. Polygon follows it up with the three reasons I'm worried about The Phantom Pain. Like, now we're just... It, it, I talked to the guys in the pre-show warm-up. Like, the news media right now, across the board, not just video games, is extremely toxic and self-serving. And the big story that I'm bringing up is Keith Oberman was doing a thing on the Jets a couple years ago. And this guy who writes about the New York Jets wrote about how Rex Ryan made a stupid decision in one of the games. And he wrote up a story saying Rex Ryan should be fired as head coach of the Jets. Two days later, the exact same reporter cited an inside source with the Jets himself that Rex Ryan might be fired as the Jets head coach. He actually created his own story and nobody called BS on it. Nobody uh, that's the ultimate expression of clickbait. Like that yeah. is just you are reporting on a story that doesn't even exist. What reality are we living in right now? Why are we constantly trying to one up each other? As with, news is privatized. I know. And money. I know. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's gotten so disgusting to me. Like, 
I don't want to hear the top 23 reasons why Dark Souls 3 will be better than Bloodborne. I don't want to hear any of that. You know what I want to see? I want to see a preview for the game. Here's what the game looks like right now. And then I want to play it myself and come up with my own experience on it. Problem That's is that I the want. media doesn't really support that, though, because especially with the proliferation of YouTube celebrities being a new way that people interact with the audience, uh, the traditional outlets have to find a way to get attention and listicles right. are in. Right. I mean, uh, PewDiePie just made $7 million last year. And you know what? Hats off to him. I personally don't like the guy. I find him annoying. But if he made $7 million doing his thing, say right. la vie. I mean, he, he cracked some code. He, he did something right. He did something right. He found an audience that likes the way that he talks to them, that he enjoys what he He also made a video gets. addressing, because there's a lot of criticism of his money, and he made a video where he was basically like, I'm not doing this for the money. Yeah, that's awesome, but I have fun doing this, so too bad if you don't like it. Yeah, I. but that gets to Steven's point, which is that then the other news sites have to start doing the lists. They have to start creating controversy. They have Polygon just did a story about Wesley Snipes playing in a new Blade movie. I was like, did well, I just... Because there, there are rumors that he met with Marvel. I know, but like, I just feel like I fell into a time warp, like back to 1999 when this would have been relevant. Like, what is going on here right now? Like, what am I even reading right now? This is weird. Like, this is just weird. Guy's got to pay his back taxes. Yeah, no, he does. <laughs> Although hearing Pat and Oswald talk about the development of Blade Trinity is really, really funny. Like going by the uh, Wesley Snipes' trailer and just the waft of pot smoke that hit him <laughs> and like nearly knocked him flat out unconscious. <laughs> so I don't Is know. He in Blade Trinity, I didn't watch that one. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Uh, that that's a very bad movie. Uh, Blade 1 and Blade, Blade 2 Blade 1 great. and 2 are cool. Yeah, they're great movies. And Guillermo did the second one. And that's why the second one is fantastic. The second one also has the, like, two-foot elbow drop where the vampire just, like, crawls up a wall for no good reason and then just does the Macho Man elbow drop on Blade. The people's elbow. He did, well, no, the people's <laughs> elbow is a, no, is a running back and forth and then the rock drops down. Sorry, my wrestling knowledge being no, what it is. That's okay. I need to be corrected. I don't know. <laughs> So we were, we were talking a little bit about money there and about like the proliferation of, you know, getting money for projects and about uh, with regards to websites. But now I kind of want to ask you guys, because we were talking in the pre-show warm up. We now have a new Kickstarter for what, what's it called? Red Ash, which red is the yeah. Red Ash. Is that is that what we're no, doing? Well, it's, it's, it's Red it's Ash. Red Ash but... It's Red right. Ash, but Mega Man Legends was Mega Man Dash. So Red Ash. OK, that's clever. Uh, but now we have a new Kickstarter up for a Mega Man Legends game uh, in the vein of Mega Man Legends. We still don't have Mighty Number no. 9. They ha- they did a second Kickstarter for Mighty Number no. 9 to increase the budget. Red Ash is right now beginning, like, its, its lowest tier goal to actually be made is going to be a prologue adventure, not a full game. Yeah, it's, it's a prologue. And if you get to the, if they get to 1.5 million, they will make episodes two and three of the prologue. Yeah, I was really on board with this game, and I would like it to get made, but they have not delivered Mighty Number no. Nine, and that's not necessarily fair because uh, what's it called? Uh, the guys that made the guys that made Wasteland are working on Torment and now Bard's Tale Four, so very it's true. not very true. It's not like it's unprecedented, but for them to say where well, you need a million dollars. We're gonna we're gonna put it on a console. We don't know which one. 
we want you to back. Like it's it's a need, little yeah, it's skeevy. It's, they, yeah, they need to deliver something first, and I think that I kind of feel like they're abusing the goodwill of their fans at this point because Mighty Number no. Nine was made as a as a revival of Mega Man because we miss Mega Man and we want a new Mega Man game. And in the beginning, I was a hundred billion percent on board. I backed it, and I as time has gone on, and I think I've said this on the show, I've gotten increasingly less smitten with it to the point where I'm kind of ambivalent towards it now. I played it at E3 and it controlled better and played better than I thought it would. Still think it looks really, really amateur for the amount of money that they raised. And for them to go and they want to make it into a multimedia yep. project. They already And are. they haven't they even released the damn game show. yet. They haven't well, even they just, released the game. Yeah, and they, they, they announced like Redash, Red Ash is getting an anime. Uh-huh. And they're uh, both in the same Mighty world, number correct? Mighty number nine. They're sort of, yeah, it seems like it. They're getting they're, but they're also, as related as Mega Man Legends and Mega Man, you know, X or whatever. Yeah. They're, yeah. In that there's a main character named Beck and his assistant friend, sister, whatever, call. Yeah. Know, that's the and like, them. like they just recently announced that they're also doing another Mighty Number no. Nine cartoon. And I'm like, this just smacks at this point of and I don't want to say Inafune because this is a group. But, like, it really seems like it's like, yeah, like, I hate that the Japanese game industry has done this over-commercialization, and it's not creativity. And I'm like, you're kind of baby Capcom now. Doing exactly yeah. that. Yeah. Like, and again, don't get me wrong. I, I love the look of Red Ash, and I, I, you know, I would like to back it. But when they basically said, yeah, we need one and a half million dollars so you get a two-hour prologue and an anime that is going to have its own Kickstarter. And Mighty Number no. 9 is not even out. Like, it just, they're... Yeah, I, they, I think it's proved to me what they're capable of first. And I think it sort of was bordering on like abusing this this process. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would one hundred percent agree. I mean, I I felt a little skeeved out to borrow Derek's word. I felt a little skeeved out with the Shenmue three announcement. Like, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, what 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 did they end up saying? Like, they need to they need to get ten million dollars to make a true open world game. Like. What? So what am I? What is my money going toward right now? And there's been a lot of confusion over that over the past couple months. Cause, like, yeah, yeah, because later they revealed that Sony was funding a lot of the game, and so essentially right. it's like Bloodstained, where it's we are doing this Kickstarter to guarantee we get some sales and show interest, which I'm fine with as long as they're open about that. Right, right. And Bloodstained was also saying, like, here's a full game that we are going to develop if we hit, like, I think it was, uh, I can't even remember what the budget was, so I, d I don't want to say it, but here, we're going to make a full game if we reach this budget. And then they just kept adding more and more content to it as it kept breaking more and more goals. Whereas Red Ash is, here's a prologue if we make enough money. Here's a taste of what we're going to be doing, not even a full product like something skeevy like that this just yeah, doesn't they, feel right that is preying a little too much on people's nostalgia for my liking because don't get me wrong i was super excited about this at first and the more i read about it i'm like this is this is sort of shady well yeah yeah it's exploitative and like what if, what are we the people who back it really getting like we're we're basically getting like a pre-sale on the game right yeah and, and so the so i'm not going to get too like lawyer here but the sec did just put out new rules about how you can do these small funding, crowd crowdfunding campaigns, mm -hmm. and so they've made it easier for people to get equity, mm -hmm. which is good. Um, you know, because because before you we you know we're not getting equity, we're we're getting like little trinkets or 
or we're getting you know added features in the game, um, but the people who give the money don't like they don't get any stake in the game, which is right. I think part of the problem. So hopefully that'll do something. It might not. You know maybe this is just a runaway train and it's too late. Mm-hmm. Oh, I th- I think the market backlash could be huge like which is a real shame because we've had so much positivity around these sorts of things so now i'm looking over my desk right now you know you got divinity original sin pillars of eternity wasteland 2 like we've had so much rogue legacy so much success with kickstarter but the second you start pissing off the market a little bit that backlash could damage everybody yeah. Everybody could get burned on this, and all of a sudden, this really cool thing that allowed gamers to say what kind of titles they want and get creators out there making games that they wouldn't be able to do in a AAA space. All of a sudden, that can become a very negative space of a very cynical attitude that ends up damaging all the products in it, regardless of quality or even goodwill. This is yeah, this is scary right now. This is one of those like. You need to police yourselves a little bit. This is what I do with my students in the classroom. When they start doing dumb stuff and they start really misbehaving, I tell them to police themselves or then I need to get involved. And you don't want me involved right now because I will come down on you like the hammer of God. Daddy's home. Yeah, don't piss dad (laughs) off. Don't piss me off. You guys need to manage this yourselves. All right, so I... I don't know what the solution is here, but I, I think Inafune and his crew need to kind of take a little need step to back. Down. Need to need to take a step back. Let's let's get Mighty Number no. Nine out the door first, and let's Absolutely. let's make sure people like that. I mean, and and Stephen was right to bring up you know the guys who made Wasteland Two, Bard's Tale, and Torment, but at least Wasteland Two is available, and there was a preview version of that out very very early that people got to play. That. I think they handled it about as close to the line as they could. I think that these guys, the Mighty Number no. Nine guys, are going over the line. Yeah, the, uh, they have done. They have not delivered enough. Pro- like that's the thing is, Torment has been showing clear progress. They're much more open than the Mighty Number no. Nine development has been. Uh, you know, like we only got a release date what a couple months ago. Yep. Um, but you know, it. It's just like. Make it, release the game first, let people play it, and see what they think. Because Inti Creates is a great development team. And again, I was much higher on Mighty Number no. 9 after playing it at E3. I yeah, liked it, plays it a lot. Well. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, too. it's just, it's, it's you got to release something. Like, that they go, we're going to release the first part of the prologue. Like, not even the entire prologue. Yeah. You yeah. know, Goodwill is like gas, and you can only run so far in it before you run out, and you really need to. You got to refill the tank. Yeah, I mean the the guys making um, uh, Hyperlight Drifter, they're getting a lot of flack right now. Go check out their message. Are they? Sometime. Oh yeah, because they've missed their release date by a year, and it's been all quiet on the Western Front as to whether or not it's going to come out in 2015. So that game was originally supposed to come out last June, June of 2014. I mean... To be fair, though, scope does increase. Oh, sure. And if they're are, are they open with their development, though? Like, are now, people aware of where it is? I'm not following the game as much as some people, and I think you might have some mob mentality here. But it, it, one look at their message boards and their Kickstarter page, you get the feeling like there hasn't been that much of an update. I mean, uh, most of the updates have been, yeah, we're still working on the game. And maybe the yeah. scope has increased a lot. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. That game looks fantastic. I really want to play it. But when you've missed your release date by a year... And they were at E3. 
they were not at E3. They were at last year's E3. Yeah, they were at the previous one. Yeah. Maybe, they, maybe to, to give them the benefit of the doubt, sure, maybe sure. they are, you know, like, we go, we got to get this done. Yeah, no, they could be in total. And what they release could end up being a phenomenal game. But when you start losing that communication level with the people that backed your title... Again, the market can shift. I mean, some of the comments there have been really nasty. Now it's the internet, so of course comments are going to be nasty. But you got to be careful here. You got to be really, really careful before you start nailing down dates. I love the fact that Capybara has not put a date on below. They're like, we don't want to announce a date until we're really close. We don't want to get fans' hopes up. And now that's not even a Kickstarter game. They have the funding for that. That wasn't a Kickstarter title. But I, I think that these Kickstarters need to be very careful. I don't think we're going to be playing Blade, uh, Bloodstained March of 2017. I don't think there's any way. I mean, they've just started production on that game. A year and a half for that game to be completely up and running and ready to go. I don't know. I don't well, know. you know, they also say that's a projected date. And again... Right. It's, it comes down to communication is that I, if I kickstart a game, I do not care how long it takes within reason. You know, if it takes 10 years long, that's too long. But like if they're saying, hey, we're working on it, like I backed Chasm and like Heart, Heart Fourth Alicia and like Chasm got delayed. But they're very detailed in like, here's why it was delayed. Right. We're changing this. This is how far along we are. This is coming out soon. It, like if, if you're going to do that, if you're going to communicate with people and let them know what's going on, then it's up. Then it's acceptable. If all of a yeah. sudden, if the guys making Hyperlight Drifter came out and said, look, we're adding this entire new area. We're adding like a third of content to our game. Please understand. Like, well, please understand. Yeah. <laughs> well, you need transparency. Exactly. I mean, that's what it exactly. Comes down to. They need to treat, in my opinion, and, you know, I know this sounds a little businessy cold, but they need to treat their backers like investors. Because they like, are. Because you, they're, yeah, they are. Like yeah. you know, it's it's not quite a one to one comparison, but they need to think of it as we have to give you our quarterly report. Well, that's what I was talking about, right? Because now, when you back, you're not getting equity, so you're not technically an investor. I mean, I think that's where it should go. That because that would give backers more of a stake um, and like actual legal standing, like you know, actual rights as opposed to. Sorry, know, we didn't deliver more. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, lots of controversy to talk about. Derek, you got any other news for us, big guy? Uh, well, they announced that Digimon Cyber Sleuth is coming west, and that's something of a big deal because it's been a while since the last big Digimon game came out here, and Digimon is having, I think, what is it, its 15th year anniversary or Digimon. 20th? Digimon. Yep, they're doing a sequel to the original two seasons, and I am so excited. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of hype surrounding it right now, and the the new one has character designs by the same artists who did Double Survivor, and I feel bad Ooh. I can't remember the name, but I really like that art. Yeah, so that's I that's like coming that. out here on PS4 and Vita in 2016. No specific date yet. Please look forward to it. Please look forward to it. And uh, speaking of games coming westward... Tales of Zestiria, we already know, is coming out here, but it's going to have a collector's edition. It's going to be pretty hefty. It's uh, 130 bucks, Oof. which is a little much for me. That's more than but buying a Pip-Boy for your arm. It's got a bunch of stuff, yeah. It's got like the, the prequel anime OVA on Blu-ray. It's got some figures, uh, an art book, soundtrack, that kind of stuff. And then in addition, that is coming to PC as well as Tales of Symphonia, which was recently Woo! revealed. Um, that's coming out sometime in 2016. And Can I, I guess... What? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, they are going through their back catalog. We are going to get the expanded Vesperia on PC here. I hope English. so. I'll be able to play that. That is my biggest 
Tales game that I've wanted to play and haven't been able to because it adds yeah. Flynn as a fully playable character. I yep. want it. And I hope that is the trend they're going. I would love to see them go back and localize the Destiny remake and release that on PC because that's a fantastic game. Yeah. Uh, you know, so maybe I'm getting overly optimistic, but it would be really cool if we saw these games coming out thanks to PC. Cause... Well, they've definitely started acknowledging how much people want the Tales games out here. And I think that they sell consistently, if not gangbusters. It has yeah. a very dedicated fan base. And I think yeah. that it's just guaranteed money for them to bring them out here at this point. Yeah, and you know, I think we talked about this a couple, a lot of episodes ago, is that I'm sure they have worked out the exact amount of money to spend on localization yeah. to make it profitable. Because, uh, yeah. you know, they make enough of them at this point. It's like, you know, you could annualize it and figure out the, your, your return on it. So, And, and I, there's some... I, I'm a little pessimistic about the idea of it being annualized, but at the same time, they're generally solid games. I wasn't very happy with uh, Xilia 2 at all. Yeah. In fact, I, I think yeah. I kind of openly disliked it because it was very soulless and empty. But uh, which is I th I'm still looking forward to Zestiria, even yeah, though I, I've heard some things about its battle system, you know? Yeah, like I keep optimistic about it, but I definitely feel like the series has gotten a little more hollow post I would say maybe Vesperia. I don't know. Graces yeah. seems pretty neat. I don't know. Uh, I, I keep wanting to play also that. Kinda, I mean, it, Graces isn't bad by any means, but it definitely falls mm -hmm. short on the story, the story yeah. front, especially compared to Vesperia. So all this talk about games that I don't know a whole lot about reminded me that I really want to know more about Grandia Two on PC. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I really want to. I have always wanted to play that game. Are you they played say, it? I've they never say played yet? it. I don't think you'll like it, Rob. Did they say? Really? Yet? What platform they're porting? Is it the PS2 one or the Dreamcast one? I oh, don't, God, I hope it's not the PS2 one. I don't the PS, know. The PS2 one, say. I think, had some slightly additional content, but it also had completely broken textures. Yeah, Rob, it's a traditional JRPG. I think you'll hate it. No, that's... <laughs> I think I think Rob would like the battle system. and that's, I, that's, that's true, yes. I think he'd like the battle system. And I, I think it's more of the JRPG that, that actually does cater to Rob's tastes. I think, I think, so. I think Rob likes the kind of like 90s, early 2000s style anime. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I like. Um, it, it, Stephen, you know this about me. I love Final Fantasy VII. I love Final Fantasy VI. I love Chrono Trigger. Like, I, I love Chrono Cross. Like, I, I like those kinds of games. I like it when it has short, snappy battle systems, and I like interesting characters. Like, and now that that that's not me putting a blanket statement saying that you know every character in all these games isn't interesting to me. But like when I played Radiant Historia, I didn't find any of those characters interesting. So they. They did not gravitate toward me. When I play Persona 3 and Persona 4, I love all those characters. I want to know more about them. They're quirky. They're different. They're fascinating. They're playing off each other well. The battle system is kick you in the face super fast. That's what I come to my JRPGs for. That's what I want. So, Atlas. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean... I'm not not to not to overhype them, but well, and I think that's maybe the, one of the reasons why I haven't been able to get into uh, Digital Devil Saga. Like, I don't find those characters to be that interesting. I know that they're supposed well, to get interesting, but it's not. They do. I, it, yeah, Digital Devil Saga is is a unique case because it messes with you because the characters are purposefully emotionless at the beginning of the game, and they gain emotion, and that's how they do it. Right, right. And I just, I can't, I'm having a hard time breaking through that wall. But I think you're right. grindy as hell. So. Yeah, I, 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 that, thank you. Love that game, but it is so grindy. Yeah, it, it got really grind-heavy for me, and I just, I, I found the battles to be just a, a skosh too small, uh, too slow. 
but I think There's you're too right. Many encounters, I think. Yeah, and and I think Steven's right. I think I like the Atlas style JRPG, but Grandia too. I mean, everybody talks about that battle system and how snappy it's. Oh, it's great. To be. You'll like it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm pretty confident you will. Yep. Well, we already talked about Zero Escape Three, which was the big can, big news story. We could talk about it for another three hours if we want. Yeah. To. Wait, can someone can someone like explain? Because I'm not familiar with this at all. Okay, so. I got you. I've I've got you, big guy. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay, here we go. So. Back on the Nintendo DS, you had a game, as I open up my cabinet real quick, called 999, Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors, okay? Okay. And that's a visual novel, uh, visual novel style. It kind of has a similar setup to one of the Saw movies. Don't roll your eyes just yet. Uh, And it's all about decision-making and puzzle-solving. And the narrative, without giving anything away... The narrative relies on the concept of multiple playthroughs. So you're getting different bits of the story as you play through and make different decisions. And the way it handles that is what Bioshock Infinite wanted to be. Mm. All right. Then we went on to Zero Escape Virtue's Last Reward, which was the next game in the franchise that's on PlayStation Vita. And is it just DS or is it 3DS or... 3DS, okay. I, I For Virtue's Last Reward? Yes. 3DS and Vita. 3DS. 3DS and Vita. Um, the good version and the 3DS version. I like the 3DS version. I, I didn't have any problems with it. Well, um, it had that save glitch, mostly. Yes, it did have a save glitch that would kind of ruin everything. Uh, Virtue's Last Reward takes the story and completely blows it out into like this epic sci-fi holy crap, my head is exploding right now, and it ends on a massive cliffhanger that if this Zero Escape 3 was not being made, it was going to be a giant travesty. But, but you know, I I do want to say, it's a cliffhanger, but I do think it does a very good job of wrapping up the concerns in VLR. Yeah, it solves that that immediate story. Conundrum. Yeah, like, everything that you would want an answer to, you get an answer to, but then they're like, also, there is this thing that is relevant that we need to take care of. Yes, and I, I think if you have any... This was the first set of visual novels I have ever played, and I think it might have been bad for me because it set the bar ridiculously high. Like, I have never been that absorbed in a handheld game. I played through 999 like three times in one night. Like, it is it is just fantastic. The storytelling is really fun. Uh, 999 can have a little bit of pacing issues because they don't let you skip around easily to make different decisions. That was fixed in Virtue's Last Reward. It's really easy to go down different paths and get different pieces of the story. And I don't want to say any more than that, Jesse, because it is fantastic and you should experience it. All right. Again, with the, you know, I I, I think it's important to not be hyperbolic about everything because when you save your enthusiasm for the things that matter it makes them you know shine like they should and i think virtue's last reward is one of the best narratives in a game ever and it kind of transcends that even yes the, yeah it's, it it's is a, out of control good yes like 999 i think maybe as a single plot twist is better but vlr is a better game over the long haul and yes is a story that both of them are only stories that could be told in a video game. Yes. Yep. And and that, I think John brought that up in his review of Virtue's Last Reward, and that's one of the reasons why those two games, I believe, are held in such high esteem. Yeah, and, like, you cannot tell that story in another medium. Right. And, and that's where I think Bioshock Infinite... I, I like Bioshock Infinite, don't get me wrong, but that game tried to do that, and Virtue's Last Reward and 999 accomplish it. Like, they, they set out with a goal, and they got there. I don't think Bioshock Infinite ever got there. 
Um, but in terms of, you know, The Last of Us would make a good movie. You know what I mean? Like that that yeah. could be told in a movie. Yeah. Virtue's Last Reward and 999 cannot be told outside of their medium. It wouldn't make sense. So go pick those up. Uh, did anybody play the iOS version of 999? I know that's that's gotten no, some hate. It, it removes all the puzzles. Right. It's just mm. a visual novel. Yeah. Right. Which is I, fine, I guess. But yeah, like, I just want the the story. The problem, the problem is that there are one or two situations, if I recall, that you need to do something during a puzzle solving moment to get the right ending, don't you? I can't. Because like in that room with the with the with the cabinets and the dressers and the safe. I can't. I honestly can't remember, Stephen. I, I honestly can't. I'm well, that, sorry. That's in VLR, yeah, or was that in both? I thought it was in nine. Because I know in, in VLR they have the stuff there. Where it's like you can solve the puzzle and then you can solve the, the extra puzzle to get a data file. Right. Right. Yeah. And I always found the extra puzzle to be like destroying my brain at yeah. times. <laughs> you got so angry. I one did. Of them. Get, I did. Rob get, was like. I still remember to this day, he, like, messaged me on, like, four different platforms to tell me how angry he was. Yeah. <laughs> well, VLR, I, I will say, I think the puzzle design is a little bit more hit and miss in VLR. I think that they, there were a couple moments where it, it doesn't go into Assassin's Creed 2 territory of, they put the Fibonacci sequence in this game, but they got one of the numbers wrong. So, like, <laughs> my brain was melting because it just turned out that they used the wrong number. So I actually recognized right away how to solve the puzzle, but then I was completely baffled because one of the numbers was wrong. It doesn't get to that level, but I think that marathoning VLR, like, over the course of a week, I did start to get a little puzzle fatigue. I think I should have taken my time with that game a little bit. But there are a couple... I also, I also think part of it is just that 999 only has, what, so many puzzles, whereas VLR... Yeah. 999, you have to repeat puzzles, which is sort of frustrating. Whereas VLR, they're always unique, which is good, but that also means that they had to make more of them, and some of them are a little more obtuse. Yes, and, and the obtuse ones were causing me to, like, pull my teeth out. But Which know. was the one that you were... There was, like, a die... Like, you had to move a die around to get it to land on a certain thing, and you only had so many movements, and... Whew, oh, like, I remember that one. Like, I, that was, I think that was the one where Rob was like, This is impossible! <laughs> well, I think it wasn't so much that it was impossible, it's that it was just pure trial and error. Like, it was just, try this, try this, okay, that didn't work. Try this, try this, that didn't work. Try this, try this. I was I was thinking, that was in reference to something I was playing, I can't remember. But, like, the trial and error just got really bad. And then I think one of the ways that, like, there was a dart puzzle where you had to add up the numbers correctly, but I was thinking that it was working in a different base than what it actually was. So, like, I was trying to go for 101, and the answer was 121. But in my brain, I had just done it correctly over and over again, but I wasn't getting the solution. And then I checked on a message board posting, and someone was like, yeah, we thought it was this base, but it's actually this base, and the game doesn't do a good job of explaining that, and that's why you're getting the puzzle wrong over and over again. It's when you think you're solving the puzzle correctly and you get it wrong that you're like, wait a minute, do I understand what's being asked of me? But anywho, great games. Absolutely great games. Playing. I, yep. I, I try to force basically everybody to play those games. And yep. then I usually I get one of two responses of, yeah, I'd like to, or... I don't really like visual novels. I want to get Jackie into them. I think she'll really like them. She loves puzzle games. I mean, if she likes reading and, and puzzles, then... Nope. She's read the Hunger Game trilogy like 20 times, so... She likes reading. <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're really cool experiences. They're, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, yes, they are. Great. 
my last news story that I was going to bring up is that Dragon Quest Builders is a thing. <laughs> it's a mix of yeah. Minecraft and Dragon Quest, basically, what which I know is... What in the name of all that is holy is going on? Yeah. Well, I, like, I... <laughs> It's funny you know because what? because 3D dot game heroes exist, and 3D dot game heroes is like a weird, actiony like 3D Zelda. Zelda with pixel art that reminded me of Dragon Quest stylistically, and then this is like an actual 3D Dragon Quest with blocks and like yeah, yeah. like I I, I want to know because don't get me wrong, <sighs> I don't think this game is a bad idea. Like I think it could be really fun and cool and creative. I just want to know who thought of it. Like, who said, you know what series we need to combine? Minecraft and Dragon Quest. I, like, it, it strikes me as very cynical. I, I see it as very cynical video game making. Like, okay, Minecraft is really big. Dragon Quest is really big. If we combine the two... Maybe it'll be awesome. I don't know. Maybe, you know, good things came out of Kingdom Hearts. You know, the first time we heard Square Enix and Disney, there were raised eyebrows. So maybe something... I was on board from the get-go. I know you were. People thought it was a strange idea, yes. Uh, I think more interesting in terms of Dragon Quest news is apparently Yuji Horii said something he shouldn't have said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. I didn't want to bring that up, but yeah, that's fine. Go yeah, ahead. so at, what was it in uh, France, at like a French yeah, gaming position? Um, there was kind of a, uh, it, there was a, somebody asked him a question about Dragon Quest Seven and Eight on 3DS. Uh, were those going to come out? And he kind of said, yeah, they're coming out in French, and apparently the translator got pissed. Like, Horisan, you can't talk about that right now. We're not. We're not supposed to talk about it. So, Gee, I wonder if localizing it in French means they may also do it in some other languages. But this is this is one of those weird moments of, like, you have an announcement to make. Are we just not ready to make it because we have to follow the marketing procedure for this? Think about it this way. If they announce the Final Fantasy VII remake, it's just some random thing versus waiting until all this build up and all this build up and then boom, at E3 press conference, everyone's blown away. Like, when you announce it can affect your hype cycle. And while I don't like the hype cycle, I that's not true. I love the hype cycle for the Final Fantasy VII remake. But, you know, <laughs> th- there's a certain amount of cynicism to be had with how you market things, I guess. Right. But waiting until the right moment to announce, we're localizing all the Dragon Quest games you want, versus being like, yeah, we're localizing it, okay. Well, maybe it might have been frustration. I mean, we, we kind of saw Kojima and Konami kind of throwing a hissy fit at each other. Like, maybe there's some frustration about hey, we're working on this thing, and we want to announce it and make the fans really happy, like, maybe that's the creative side of Hori. Or maybe he did just speak out of turn. Maybe he just had a brain fart and well, said something that he wasn't supposed to say. Yeah, I mean, look at all the stuff Square Enix announced at E3. It's a, it's a matter of pacing. You don't want to announce... All, you don't want to show every card in your hand all at once. Right, and I, I want to see who, if... Dragon Quest Seven and Eight are coming out in the West, which I, I think they are. I, I think we're finally going to get them. Eight for sure. Seven is still a question mark. But if those games come out, does Square Enix publish them themselves, or is that another Nintendo product? I would be shocked if it wasn't Nintendo. But then does that fit in with Dragon Quest Heroes? Like, how does Nintendo feel about Dragon Quest Heroes coming out on PlayStation 4? No potential Nintendo version of it. And yet they're the main publishers of Dragon Quest. Well, I mean, does that is there no potential for a Wii U version of that? I don't know. There might be Dragon Quest Heroes. Certainly looks yeah. like a, certainly looks like a Wii U game. Probably not. No, it doesn't. It looks better than that. It looks, yeah, it looks good. good. It looks good. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think so because I think they they built it on that hardware and they would kind of have to downscale. It'll be like Dead Rising when it was on the Wii. Ugh. Wasn't that also that was a new game, wasn't it, or was it just a port? It was. was it was a port slash new game. Like it. It kind of went from like here's a hundred thousand zombies on screen to ten. Right, because they have to rebuild yeah. that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> but I, I just think it's weird for, for Dragon Quest to be... you know, If Dragon Quest and Nintendo are going to be together, like if, it, that's fine. But then Dragon Quest Heroes is now out on its own little island, and it's like, well, what's going on there? And you know, is Nint- Nintendo doesn't publish the uh, mobile versions of Dragon Quest, correct? Mm, no, that's Square Enix. Right. So they, I don't know. There's, there's some weird... I think maybe Nintendo wanted Dragon Quest to be big in America. Like, that's why you had that huge push with Dragon Quest IX, and it just never quite got there. Speaking of interesting publishing developments with Nintendo, this isn't an RPG, but apparently NOA, Nintendo of America... an RPG anyway. (laughs) Y'all not an RPG. Uh, NOA has just up and dropped Devil's Third from their publishing in August. Good. And then there was just an article right now. It says... Today, Nintendo of America tweeted saying, "We know you're eager to hear more about Devil's Third. We're excited to bring the game to Wii U, and we'll have more to share soon." So, so maybe they are bringing it out. But the the word on the street is that there are few copies of that game in Europe, and everybody is saying, "Oh dear, not good." And considering you're saying Tomonobu Itagaki is actually just a lot of bluster and not a very good developer. Well, he made one good game, which was the original Ninja Gaiden, and has never been able to recreate it. Look, I don't even like Ninja Gaiden. Giant much. boobs with physics are a great feature, Rob. Okay, <laughs> you can totally base an entire experience on that. But it, it, if they are actually bringing it out, that that says something. But I think that game might be delayed because the word is that it's got massive frame rate problems and it's not mm. playing very well. So maybe sure. N- NOA might be right. NOA might be jumping in there to say, "All right, give it to us, and we're gonna we're gonna fix this thing up a little bit." Mm. Yeah, it could maybe. be. I don't know, uh, but yeah, Itagaki is on my punch list if I ever see him at E3, right up there with David Cage. <laughs> I have a punch list. I have a list of developers that just need to just, It's just a picture of me for the first 20 and then some other guy. <laughs> <laughs> you and I had fun at E3. We got to play Divinity together. That was yeah, fun. we had a good time. Yeah. And the developers kept telling me not to blow you up during the demo, which was hilarious. Because <laughs> I, I kept being like, I could totally hit Rob with a missile right now and blow him up. And they were like, don't do that. You shouldn't blow up your teammate. And I'm like, I don't... Uh, what? You do know who this is, right? <laughs> Just hit him. All right. So, good podcast, guys. A lot of fun. A lot of good games to talk about. Uh, things are going to start getting hectic here pretty soon. Hopefully we'll have a Persona 5 announcement in the not-too-distant future. If I, get to play, if I get to play that Fallout and Metal Gear this year... <laughs> Jesus yeah. and and Xenoblade X and yeah well things you don't care about like trails and more trails. I, I, so much coming out. coming out this year. Zestiria. What? Cold Steel is coming out this year. Yeah, like October, November. Cool. I like how games have been spaced out more too. Like you know, Batman now, Bloodborne back in March, like Witcher in May. Uh, it, it's now. Way, could you imagine all these titles coming out in the fall? This oh, year, man. I have definitely felt like games have been coming out at a good pace and i've had breathing room when i needed it and releases to look forward to that weren't like a million years away yeah yeah i mean witcher has turned into my like summertime game 
Yeah. That's just the game I've been playing all summer, and I just continue to enjoy it. And uh, there was rumors that Dishonored 2 might be spring. Uh, Bethesda outright said that it's coming in spring, but I'm wondering if that's true. Uh, there's just... Good lord. So many, Deus Ex will probably be summer next year, I would think. So many good games. So many, And then there's the Witcher expansions. Yes! And there's the yep. Bloodborne yeah. expansion. Yep. The Bloodborne expansion, which I'm surprised we didn't hear about at E3. Uh, they said they weren't going to talk about it at E3. I think they... That might be early next year. I think that's going to be big. I think they're going to really take a look at the Chalice Dungeons and try to try to fix that up a little bit. Well, make the, they're putting the depth there. I mean, now you, you can get better rewards from them, but they're still not where they need to be. But after a game like Diablo 3, I now am like, hey, if a developer wants to take the time to make their product better, go for it. What, what yeah, add, they're adding a goddamn Haradric cube to Diablo 3. They are, and I'm super excited because it lets you break down a legendary item and then equip legendary item powers as passives in like new slots. Well, their their game design philosophy. I was telling this to my buddy last night while we were playing together. Their game design philosophy is exactly what I want more of, which is we're not going to nerf special powers. We're just going to make everything better. Well, you know, and it, again, it's still cool on the internet to say Diablo three sucks, and those people are mistaken. Yeah, uh, like you know, if you don't like it, that's fine. But yeah, like, if you don't the, like it, the tongue in cheek error thirty two, whatever. Oh, Diablo three, oh, it still sucks. Like. They, they are... People actually still reference that. Yes. Oh my people God. still like to say Diablo three sucks. Derek, there were T-shirts the day after Diablo three came out that you could buy that said Error thirty seven with the Diablo font. It was oh disgusting. God. That was. I woke up the next day after Diablo three came out, made myself a pot of coffee. I canceled classes and I just played for eight hours. <laughs> cancel classes? I I did in fact cancel classes. Oh, of power. I told I told my kids. Now I'm sick. <laughs> see you guys on Battle.net. See you guys. We're happy with that, yeah. <laughs> I actually I don't care. I did end up playing with one of my students when he got done class. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for listening to the podcast, everybody. For uh, Steven, Derek, and Jesse, we will see you all later.